Kane. Surely not another twist. Good ball from Kane. Bergwijn is in. Is he going to win the game? He is. Steven Bergwijn. I don't believe it. That is incredible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a group of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave, who, as always, ever-present, joins me again for a 20th straight episode. Dave, welcome back. 20 episodes. How are you feeling? Hi, Dags. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah? I'm, uh, I'm over the disappointment of the weekend, and I'm, I'm ready for the next one. But I have to go through the international break now. Oh. oh, no. Oh, no. Well, look, speaking of the weekend, I understand you had a birthday of the weekend, and you had a very good opportunity to drown your sorrows. How was that? Yes, I did. It was... Um, happy birthday, by the way. It was definitely time. Thank you. It was definitely time that I got to have a few drinks after the Leeds game mm. on Saturday, where we got beat at home by Newcastle. But uh, The richest club in the world, to be fair. Well, yeah, exactly. If you're going to lose to someone, you're going to lose to them, aren't you? But yeah, like I've said it before on this podcast, I hate losing before the international break. <laughs> yeah. It's a downer on a long period of time. Yeah. Well, look, this is our 20th episode now. We say a lot of things about Spurs. We're not really boring, are we? All things considered. <laughs> There's always something happening. <laughs> something going on. Be it whingy bosses saying that they need to sign some players or mm. you know, last minute double wonder strikes. All to get on to. All on the agenda very much so. Uh, also joining me is Joe. Welcome back. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So it's been, yeah, like you say, a mixed couple of results. I'm looking forward to talking about one of them and hoping we're going to yeah. gloss over the other. I don't know what you're talking about. I only remember one result. <laughs> we haven't played Chelsea. <laughs> And also with us today, of course, is Elio, in case anyone was getting scared that we weren't going to have Elio on this week. He is here, as always, true to form. Welcome back, Elio. How's your Spurs supporting experience been since we all last got together? Much the same, sublime to the ridiculous <laughs> short space of time. Yeah, it was a, a mixed week. You have the high that we did have, followed by the low that we're about to gloss over, and you end up somewhere in the middle after all of that i guess mm. um has it really been 20 episodes well this is the 20th yeah so nearly how have we actually got to this point i, I don't know <laughs> I, I feel like we've done pretty well and i think if i'm not mistaken that means that we as a group have sat here in total for 24 hours talking about spurs and there are people out there listening people out there are listening if you're listening right now thank you if you've actually managed to listen all the way through since episode one then sincerely thank you and also that's just a little bit crazy so i feel sorry for dave he didn't choose this life we did well that's why i asked him that's why i said <laughs> dave 20 episodes how are you feeling i thought he was going to sort of start pouring out some regrets and be like what am i doing i thought i thought this would last no, a few I've, weeks i've very much enjoyed my time so far it's um it's interesting seeing your slant on some of the things that are happening shall we say and uh <laughs> And hopefully I'm here to uh, add a touch of realism. By slant, do you mean our correct interpretation? That's exactly what I mean, yes. I thought so. Just just checking. Yeah. So last week, of course, we talked about our favourite Spurs goals. Anyone think we should have left it one week more? <laughs> Could have had another one to add to the collection. Quite the drama. Certainly something we're going to get on to talk about as well. And we've got, as we mentioned earlier, a couple of games. So we're going to talk about the, the miracle of King Power as I'm calling it. And of course, the Chelsea game, which was anything but miraculous. We're going to do a bit of a roundup of the transfer window. And of course, we will finish up with Challenge Elio, as we always do. But first of all, let's talk about that Leicester game, shall we? That's why we're all here. That's what we've all been itching to talk about. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember a huge amount of it, apart from the last 80 seconds or so, to be honest. Elio, can you try and recount the tale of the away game at Leicester all those days ago? All those days ago. <laughs> It's funny because usually when you think of a team making 
what seems like a sucker punch comeback like that, mm. it's because they've nicked things against the run of play and a team that's worked so hard to be on top all game, then their heads drop and they concede another one quick fire. But this was quite the opposite. In the end, it was the absolute right result. We yeah. we, we dominated the game. We were by far the better side. Harry Kane scores an absolutely beautiful goal, leaving Soyuncu True on his ass in the process, which is always good fun to see. Mm. In fact, I think he was the Leicester player that ended up being done for all three goals in the end, wasn't he? But yeah, karma. We ended up behind twice, both times against the run of play. Then we seemed to run out of ideas, run out of a bit of puff, lose a bit of confidence, and that zip kind of went, and it ended up being a bit of a hit-and-hope exercise. And then Bergwijn has an absolutely crazy few minutes where he, he nearly gets himself sent off slash murdered by Soyuncu, <laughs> Chu, then his heated reaction to that is to score those two absolutely fabulous goals. And it's the sort of feeling that we've not had in a little while as Spurs fans. So, so mm. I'm sure I'm not the only one that didn't quite know how to react in the moment and really just lose their shit. <laughs> I think the technical term for what Bergwijn did is an absolute madness. Joe, how are you feeling the last five minutes of that game? <laughs> Talk me through your experience. Yeah, um, kind of like Elio, just sort of disbelief, really, because that's not how Spurs win games. I mean, the Ajax thing is just kind of unbelievable and kind of right up there is the peak of the unspursiest of things that happened to us. Yeah. Maybe it's becoming more of a regular occurrence now, you know, because it's it's not, it's not quite the same thing, but it's still astonishing that the two latest goals to, to turn a result around ever happened in that game. What was it, 94 minutes and 50 seconds? Was it when Bergwijn got his equaliser? It was, yep. 94 mm. minutes and 52 seconds, which is the latest any team has been losing a game and then gone on to win in the Premier League. And it's just also one of those ones where it just had, like Elio said, we kind of sucker punched Leicester's sucker punch because we didn't mm. deserve to lose. And it was just ending exactly as you knew it would with us running out of puff, like you say. So I don't yeah. know where I don't know where those two goals came from from Stephen Bigwin, but um, <laughs> I like that. Be honest, did you just come up with that? I think I have like got that from somewhere through osmosis, but I couldn't tell you where. But uh, no, it's um, I, I'm still kind of shocked because I'm just so happy that we got that win because you look at the stats and we absolutely deserved it. You know, we dominated them on shots. Yeah. And I think it also speaks well of maybe the manager injecting a bit of resolve, a bit of steel, a bit of professionalism into our players as well, because it's mm. not the only late winner recently, having also won it right at the death against Watford with that Davinson Sanchez header. Okay, very different matches in the Watford game. You could even argue, well, we didn't really deserve it. We were rubbish that day. But it's nice to see us doing more of that. And yes, I know that Watford is a team you expect to beat in anyway, and I know that Leicester are a side that haven't been on the greatest form this season and they like us have had a few sort of injuries a few COVID cases here and there etc etc but doing that on a regular basis is a good thing needing to do that on a regular basis not such a good thing and that probably says more about our overall quality than anything mm. else but the fact that the players are actually digging deep within themselves yeah. is a really good thing and it's not just the fact that we scored late to get the winner it's the fact that we scored late to get the winner having just scored late to get the equalizer if if the equalizer had been in I don't know the 88th minute and then we'd gone and got that winner 
in the 96th minute or whenever it was, then that would have been less of a big thing. It would have still been very big, obviously, but it would have been less of a miracle, I guess, as you described it. The fact that those two goals were 80 seconds apart in the 95th and 97th almost minute, it just shows that despite having an absolutely elevating moment so late on, Mm. the players retained the professionalism and the composure to go into it again. Case in point, the other day Arsenal got a last-minute equaliser as well <laughs> and then celebrated like they'd won the World Cup and didn't get a winner yep. 80 seconds later. So so I think a lot of good stuff to see there on the mental side. But there's still the quality issue that put us in that position in the first place. And I'm sure we'll discuss that in a bit. Uh, we don't want to hear about that, Elio. Let's come on. Let's let's have a positive episode for one <laughs> week, shall we? But no, absolutely. That, that is the thing, isn't it? It's the winning mentality. And what I love to see, and I've seen this from a couple of our players since Conte came in, is just the minute Bergwijn scored... And and remember, this is, what, the 95th minute? The guy is running into the net to get the ball back. And when do you see that? I mm. mean, it's the absolute opposite of what you described with the Lacazette goal. Are you talking about the Palace equaliser, I think it was, where they all ran off into the corner like they'd won the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, that that's it, isn't it? And that just seems like something that's come in and something that Conte has instilled. And yeah, absolutely crazy that they were still thinking, let's go for a winner. But not undeserved, not undeserved. And maybe they thought, like us, that it wouldn't have been a fair result even with the equaliser. What do you think, Dave? I mean, that was certainly one for the neutrals. And you claim to be a neutral, I'm not convinced, but you, you say you're a neutral when it comes to Spurs games. Did you enjoy that game? Well, it's funny because I think I, I, I'm not sure that was a game for the neutral because I was bored. <laughs> okay, I'd five minutes off. for the neutrals. You started well. Mm. You had a couple of chances you didn't take. The Leicester score now went over again, and then one of and those the, games. kind of the game kind of meandered the, the exact way that I assumed it was going to go, and I turned off by the time that the WhatsApp group absolutely exploded, and I obviously knew that something was happening. Yeah. So I jumped on the BT Sport, BT Sport app, and just jumped on the highlights just to watch what the hell had just happened. And I can't believe how close, I mean, literally from kickoff, that you got that third goal. Mm. I mean, shocking from Leicester, you've got to say. You know, keep the ball. Keep the ball. And they just couldn't. And they got what they deserved for not being smart and keeping what they had. Yeah. But yeah, it's a crazy finish to a, uh, I would say, probably a bit of a meh game. But um, yeah. <laughs> such memories are made of this. And the next time someone calls us bottlers, we need to just remind them of what happened to Leicester, really, don't we? Yeah, somebody needs to um, tell Conte what Spursy really means. Yeah, you can't really <laughs> turn Leicester into a, an adjective like that, can you? can't really say that's Leicester-y. Leicester-y. The same, <laughs> same. Foxy? Foxy, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about that either. Joe, how many unread messages were there in our group when you picked up your WhatsApp? Uh, that's so funny you asked. Remind us. So 245, I think it was in the end. <laughs> how many swear words? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few. Quite a few directed towards Chaglar Soyuncu, I imagine. He didn't have a good day, did he? No. He was. Uh, we've seen countless memes of him, and they're, they're just brilliant, and I, I can never see too many of them. But yeah, that was just one of those moments of poetic karma, wasn't it? Where the guy went right up into Bergwijn's face, screaming at him on the ground, and look what happened. I messaged you to say that I've watched the last 10 minutes again, just you know, from sort of 80 minutes onwards. And it's it's so amusing if you watch it just from Soyuncu. If you just focus on him, don't follow the ball. <laughs> that's what I did. And it's just so satisfying that the last action of the game is pretty much just him frustratingly flinging the ball out from the net where it's just... Because it doesn't quite hit the back of the net and bulge. It sort of just goes over the line where he's hit it. Yeah. Bergwijn hits it at such an odd angle 
and it goes oh. so slowly that it just dribbles in off the post. Oh, it almost made it more dramatic, though, didn't it? The way it just kind of dribbled in. You're like, it hit the post and you still didn't know. It had like, an extra second of just like, is this a goal? Is this a goal? But what a finish, though. I mean, it wasn't the tidiest, but in terms of the fact that he didn't really have that much of the goal to aim at and the composure in that situation, having just scored the other one, I mean, unbelievable. We talk about Lucas Moura's finish and you know the composure in the Ajax game, and obviously it's hard not to make the comparison. But Elio, what do you think of that finish? I mean, do you think that's something that he just should be scoring or with the occasion and the, um, the circumstances? You've got you to gotta take your hat off to him. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a beautiful sort of well-struck hit. I think he aimed for the corner. He scuffed it ever so slightly <laughs> as well. I don't think it was the cleanest hit. He was off balance, falling in one direction because he was running at pace. His first touch had obviously taken the ball a long way. Ball goes in the other direction. So there was an element of luck with it. But what I would say is that he did have, I guess, the presence of mind and the composure to direct it the way he needed to direct. I mean, it's no easy thing getting the ball into the corners at mm. the best of times, never mind in the 96th minute at high speed when you're absolutely full of emotion and full of energy. So I think he deserves credit for that. But what made the finish special was the timing as much as anything else. Mm. I mean... That happens in the 25th minute and it, it's just another just goal. a scrappy goal, yeah. What do you think Hugo Lloris' 100 metre time was when the goal went in from getting his goal line <laughs> to the celebrations in the corner? Because I just remember watching it thinking like, how is Hugo there? Like, where did he start? Was he on the halfway line? Because he got there quickly, didn't he? The celebrations were, yeah. were something else, right? No, it was, it was incredible. And people always say sort of, I guess our rivals fans will mock us and say, look at Spurs celebrating as if they've won the league Let with them. all their celebrations for a win away to Leicester, blah, blah, blah. And though people that say that are either just jealous that we've had that moment or don't really get football and get the passion involved in every single match and it had been a quite heated match as well so I think it's wonderful to see the players celebrate like that it's wonderful to see Kane actually as sort of proud and passionate and sort of chest bumping as he has been in years potentially I think it was a really nice thing to experience as a football fan I mean what's the point in being a football fan if you can't enjoy something like that yeah I couldn't agree more I couldn't agree more and I think I defy any team I don't care who you're beating in the league if you can't back in those sort of circumstances there's no way you're not celebrating like that it's just unbelievable just ridiculous i absolutely love lucas mora's reaction as well lucas mora just he jumped on the back of one of the stewards didn't he and just kind of went mental and then started waving his arms around i think he stole somebody's hat it was just absolute carnage um i think we need to give a thumbs up to hoiberg as well for his role not only did he have a half decent game but i think he arguably stopped bergwijn getting a red card because he was about to jump right into the crowd he was about to take his shirt off and hoiberg almost kind of held him back through it didn't he and calmed him down a little bit so yeah the unsung hero of that one Uh, and speaking of unsung heroes what about Kane's through ball for the winner I mean I don't want to overly praise something that I've come to expect of him. <laughs> he's never happy is he guys I know that sounds what, really what would it hard, take for you to, to be excited come on I mean Kane Kane's the player that I expect that from that he's adding the moment of class if Kane's not doing that from time to time then you question whether he's as good as you think he is but What I would say is Kane did have an exceptional game, in my opinion. It was a pass that I don't think that many players can pull off, and I'm delighted to see him playing like that again. But uh, I don't want to go overboard praising. I've given Kane enough praise over the years for doing exceptional things at the end of the day. You're a world-class player. Do something world-class every now and then. That's what he did. <laughs> you are starting to sound like Roy Keane at the moment. You're saying like, oh, that's his job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. it's not so much that's his job. It's just Harry Kane is an absolute class act. And 
class acts do things becoming of class acts. That That's what he did. I love Harry Kane. I think he's been the best player I've seen at Spurs in my lifetime, or at least the most consistently best player anyway, because maybe a couple of others have hit slightly higher heights, but not for as long. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I want to reserve more praise for Bergwijn for doing what he did when it was looking like he's out of the exit door this match, for Hoybier for the way he won the ball back deep and played that ball into the box for Doherty for the first goal and into Kane from the Tielemans pass in the build-up to the second goal as well. And I criticise Hoybier a lot on this podcast. So and a special praise to him for, for that and just generally the fact that he was making sure every time Leicester hoofed the ball back at us, he was turning play over quickly and getting it forward again. Want to give praise to Doherty for perhaps mm. being the most useless footballer I've ever seen and still getting the most unique assists yeah. you could possibly imagine for the equaliser. I mean, th- those are the players that get extra special Elio praise for this because they're the ones that went above and beyond what I expected them. Mm. Kane, if you set yourself a high bar, you then have to live up to it. The reason we criticise Deli Alley is because he set himself a high bar and then dipped so far below it, it's unimaginable. Harry Kane. I want to see him doing that every week now. Yeah, it's Da Vinci, isn't it? You know, when Leonardo Da Vinci picks a masterpiece, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but Hoiberg, in this analogy, Hoiberg and especially Doherty are, you know, six-form students down at the Polytechnic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they've just painted masterpieces. It's like when you win the Who Am I game in Challenge Elio, everyone's like, yeah, that's just Dave. It's exactly like that's that, yeah. what he does. Now, Hoiberg doing that, that is basically Matt Groening painting the Sistine Chapel. That's, that's <laughs> Hoiberg doing that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a potential episode title right there. I like that. I also love the phrase Elio praise, by the way. Well, yeah. That's I, I, I heard that. Like that too. <laughs> Bit of Elio praise there. Quick stat for you. Uh, Stephen Bergwijn scored more goals in 80 seconds than he had in his previous 56 matches for Spurs. How do you like that one? Bit harsh? He's a player that I feel a bit sorry for. He's one of those that go in the bucket of was signed during the two and a half odd years we've had of managerial turnaround slash squad development. Uh, He came in under Mourinho. We then had the pandemic. So settling in a new country is not particularly easy in those circumstances. Bit of a harsh thing to call Mourinho. start. In and out of the team, got a big injury early on. He obviously started with that lovely goal against Manchester City, then basically played as an auxiliary right back under Mourinho when he was playing his sort of two right backs, two left backs formation, his uh, his lovely 6-2-2 or whatever you want to call it. So now I think Bergwijn's been affected by a lot of sort of a series of unfortunate events mm. sort of since he's been with us and he deserves a little bit of slack. That said, he has also been disappointing most recently, but since Conte came, he seems to be getting better with each appearance, and this was the culmination of that. Well, you made a comment in our WhatsApp group, and I try not to quote you guys on your WhatsApp chat too often, because I know things are said in the heat of the moment, and you know you can. <laughs> I don't want to hold you to things that you say right after goals and things like that too often, but you came out with a comment, albeit maybe a bit tongue-in-cheek, about Bergwijn right at the end of the game, saying he's just saved his Spurs career. And I want to know, how much are you joking when you said that? Do you think that maybe he was on his way out and now he might be in the plans? Do you think he could have turned it around? I think 100% he was on his way out. I mean, there was way too much noise about the Ajax situation, particularly mm. with them selling Neres. Uh, there was way too much noise for that. There not to be anything in that. And uh, I think had we got them maybe another five million up from what they're offering, we would have accepted. He would have happily gone back home and, and that would have been 
that, but I'd even go as far to say is the fact that La Celso suddenly looks to be out the door mm. may well be because we can't fathom selling Bergwine uh, after he's just done that, and all yeah. of a sudden we've got a use for one and not the other. Well, we'll get back to it. We'll talk about transfers in a minute, people out, people in, but we'll hold on to that for the time being. Something that's quite interesting, and Elio, you kind of went down this road for a minute earlier in terms of our late goals and everything like that. That's obviously a stat that has been rubbed in our face during the Chelsea game that we're going to talk about, because I think the Sky Studio or whoever it was kind of jinxed us because they started bringing up all these stats towards the end of the Chelsea game about how many late goals Spurs have scored this season under Conte which just kind of ruined that but one stat that I saw that's quite interesting and this was actually before the Chelsea game admittedly is that in Spurs previous nine games before that game we had an xg combined of 19.95 which is it's quite something especially when we're talking about how bad our xg was at the beginning of the season it was something we talked about every week it seemed joe i want to ask you about this because i mean we were talking about the contrast between spurs earlier in the season and, and the complete lack of creativity what do you think specifically is changing at the moment do you think it is purely a mentality thing do you think it comes down to tactics do you think there are certain players that are making it happen what's the biggest change what's brought that about well, what catches the eye more than anything, I don't know if this is the primary change, but Kane's performances have improved dramatically in the last month. Mm. So, like, he, he just looks so threatening. You know, I know we don't want to talk too much about the Chelsea game, but when you think how black and white the Leicester and Chelsea performances and results were, one consistent is that Kane was kind of in the middle of anything that looked good. You know, he how many goals should he have scored against Leicester? And also, he did score against Chelsea. Mm. You know, I guess Silva was just outfoxed him, but Kane could have scored um, near the end as well. He, yeah. he he just seems to be to be back now. He probably hasn't decided to just start playing amazing again. It's probably because Conte has brought so much more rigor and structure to the team. We we do look not amazing. You know, we obviously don't look amazing defensively, but we do look more robust, especially in midfields. And I think that is probably yeah. making Kane's life easier. So. Kane catches the eye, but it's probably all the work that Conte's doing with the rest of the team that's helped kind of propel them in the recent weeks. He seems to be where he wants to be on the pitch now, doesn't he? Back when he was at his best, he was playing a little bit further forward. We've always talked to death about him dropping deep and trying to become this kind of midfielder. Do you think that the midfield actually doing their job properly is allowing him to stay on the shoulder of the defender now? Yeah, I think so. And I, I agree with you so much. He he just he clearly for the last couple of years is is just wants to be a number ten. You know, he, he loves like Elio, that pass that he played through to Bergwine for the win, mm. that that's like Kane's favourite thing to do. He loves those passes mm. and that's where he wants to be, it seems. We need two Canes, really, don't we? We need one in number nine and one in number yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. That'd be perfect. The ideal <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about his disallowed goal because he's had a few, if I'm not mistaken. He's had a few disallowed goals. There was a lot of focus before the Chelsea game about Lukaku and Kane and how they're both having horrible seasons and they've only scored five goals or whatever it is. But I think Kane's had about three or four disallowed and wrongly disallowed as well. <laughs> that was the offside one we talked about. Let's talk about the Chelsea game, shall we? I mean, as much as we'd love to pretend it didn't happen and just talk about the Leicester game and Stephen Bergwijn all day, let's get on to the Chelsea game. First thing we're talking about, actually, Elio, you talked about Mourinho's doubling up on the right backs and left backs. We had a little bit of a Mourinho flashback, didn't we, with the formation this time around? We did. And Conte did say afterwards that it was something out of necessity. It wasn't just a tactical thing. Mm. It was the fact that Skip and Lucas had to be patched up to even make the bench, which, fair enough, that's the truth. I mean, managers always say things to make their decisions look less bad, so I'll take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. But if that's the case, then fair enough. But I didn't like the very sort of flat 4-4-2 with 
essentially fullbacks on the wing as well. It, it felt it felt like a step too far because I mean at the end of the day, Chelsea's two goals were a one's a goal and a set piece. So it's not as if they created much, but we we didn't really create anything. The one thing we did create got chalked off. It's subjective whether you think it should be chalked off or not. I mean, yeah, we'll talk Paul about within the same game manages to treat things in a... He almost has different parts of his brain deciding what he's going to do on different decisions, mm. because if Kane goal's disallowed, then how does Thiago's push on Davis in the build-up to his goal not get that goal disallowed as well? That was a far bigger shove than mm. Kane on Thiago. I mean, so... Yeah, inconsistencies within a match. But yeah. hey, Tierney didn't think the push on Delhi against Liverpool was a penalty, did he? Yeah, um, same ref. Yeah. So I think that Conte's sort of selection left a bit to be desired. Mm. But at the same time, he's banked enough credit in the previous nine league games to get one, I guess, inverted commas, wrong. I'm never a fan of changing a system or changing players and playing players in odd positions or anything like that to try and make up for where you have losses elsewhere. Even little things like when a team puts their very highly performing left winger up front or their very highly performing central midfielder out on the left wing because their usual starters in those spots get injured. I'd rather just go with a kid in those positions or go like for like to the best of your abilities. I think managers often change too much for the sake of it. And I think that's kind of what Conte did here. And, and, listen the Kane goal gets given and all of a sudden it's a different conversation right now, potentially, Mm. but it didn't. And, proof was in the pudding even if they didn't create much we got dominated and yep. we did deserve to lose that game you know what I think anyway I think Conte was listening to our podcast last week because we talked about how our system's too similar to Chelsea's maybe we need to try something different so you know maybe he thought ah these guys know what they're talking about let's <laughs> let's try a 4-4-2 let's see how that goes uh, but uh, I think it's probably further proof that we're just whatever we do one way or another we seem to be behind them at the moment I've got a genuine cynical question um <laughs> Is there a chance that Conte thought, we're not going to win this game, there's seven days of the transfer window yeah. left, I'm going to show Daniel Levy that I don't have enough players? You mean like Tuchel with his bench making a statement? Yeah, Tuchel with his mm. ridiculous four-player bench with his 83 players in the youth system. I wouldn't be surprised. It was the last game before the international break. It was the last game for a, a good couple of weeks and the last league game for three weeks. So, yeah, that seems cynical on the surface, but... No one's going to criticise Conte for his first league loss after in his 10th match being a way to a side that beat us three times already this season and tend to beat us home and away most seasons anyway. So there could be something to that. I mean, I'm always a little bit wary of opening up that can of worms just because you then think about all the sort of dodgy lineups and crazy situations you've ever seen. Mm. But... Contes, a manager who's used to being at mega rich clubs, throwing lots of money at almost whoever the hell he wants. So, mm. so it, it's not the most outlandish suggestion in the world, though. No. I just think that if there's any truth in it, which I obviously have no idea, and I wouldn't want to think of as ill as that mm. of, a, of, of a football manager, but I'd be a little bit pissed off if I thought that your manager isn't trying to win the game, even if it's Chelsea away. Innocent till proven guilty, yeah? It is. Let's give him yeah. the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave that there and let it fester <laughs> with all of you Spurs guys. I'm in your head now. That's it. That's it. Dave, you've, the content you've always been in our head. An absolute swine you, and a bounder. You've always been in our head. I, I will say this, though. It's interesting. I was listening to Alistair Gold's podcast, actually, and he made a good point. He said, you know, had this lineup, the selection been put out by Nuno or Mourinho, 
can you imagine the backlash? Can you imagine the way we would have reacted? And Elio, you said it right yourself. That he's got a bit of credit in the bank, so he's kind of got the opportunity to mess a couple up or to try something new. But it didn't work, and I think it's probably fair to say we were the second best team, weren't we? And Joe, I'm curious to hear what you think about that because I feel like I always come to you when we're talking about Chelsea. You've, you're always on when we just lost to Chelsea. You've got a really bad. Feeling <laughs> <you're trying laughs> it's with true. This, this podcast, but I know we can talk about chaos theory and butterfly effects and had Kane's goal been allowed and everything like that. But before we talk about that, I mean, just generally in the balance of the whole game, Chelsea were the better team, right? Yeah, and that's borne out by the stats as well. Like they dominated us on passing and uh, possession, so we, we weren't really yeah. in it, to be honest. Not with that formation. I've got a quote here, actually, from none other than billionaire hedge fund entrepreneur Ramon Vega. It says, we can moan and criticise about refs and VAR all day long, but the truth and reality are that Chelsea has had a better squad and they are at least three transfer windows better than Spurs at the moment. Do think that's fair? Yeah. I don't know what's shocking about that. <laughs> that's pretty Nothing, clear. I never said it was shocking. I, I just wanted to quote Ramon Vega because I know how much Dave likes him. I feel like Ramon Vega, love him though I do for the way he forms. Careful, Eddie, he's going to be a guest on our podcast. In our um, penultimate to most recent trophy, I do feel like he's somewhat boosting his profile recently by capitalising on the anti Enoch and Levy sentiments within the Spurs fan base. There's been a lot of barbed comments at the board recently. Maybe he should buy us. Warranted and echoing echoing a lot of what the fans think as well. But even so, I think he's playing to a crowd with a popular opinion at the moment. And because yeah. he's a bit of a goofy personality, he, he's getting a lot of attention for it. Um, that's not to say he's wrong, but mm. at the same time, uh, I'm not sure Ramel Vega particularly gives two shits what's going on, I suppose, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. You don't think he should buy us with all his billions? The guy's career highlights were at Celtic anyway, not at Spurs. The fans do seem to be getting very touchy again with Enoch, don't they? It's sort of flaring up. I guess this happens every transfer window, but it's definitely flaring up at the moment mm. with how long we've got left. Now, now, now. Me, me, me. That's yeah. what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, running out of time there. But let's just round things off with the Chelsea game, first of all. We don't want to talk about it too much, but there are a couple of talking points. I mean, as far as the goals are concerned, Elio, you said it yourself. Not really a huge amount you can do about Ziyech screaming one into the top corner. Header from a corner. Thiago Silva shown time and time again that he's very good in those situations and it was a good header. But speaking of Thiago Silva, I mean, fantastic player though he is. I think we saw some of the dark arts at play in the disallowed goal decision. I'm going to come to you in a minute, Dave, because I know you might you might have a slightly more impartial view on this, but... Joe, while I'm with you, what was your opinion? Because I don't think I've heard your thoughts on the disallowed goal situation. What's your assessment of it? Well, Silva outsmarted the referee, but a ref's always going to give a foul to the defender if they go down, if you touch them at all, aren't they? So it's really frustrating, and it's made doubly worse with Silva scoring later in the game. Um, Which we all knew was coming. Yeah, but I I can't really argue that much because those tend to get given against the striker, don't they? Yeah, it's that old thing where they start talking about, oh, that's really clever, using yeah. his experience, which is just a nice way of saying cheating, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, listen, if you have consistency, you can't really complain. The problem is that you don't have consistency, and that's what I was mentioning earlier. And I, I don't even want to go all the way back to the Liverpool game because you had it within this game. Joe just said, you're always going to give that decision to the defender. Well, then why wasn't the decision given to Davies when mm. Chelsea got their second? Thiago's shove on Davies to get him out of the way was far, far greater than Kane's on Thiago's. So why is one goal disallowed and the other not in the exact same game? It, that's what 
pisses me off. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, if he disallowed that second Chelsea goal as well, I'd have thought, well, fair play. I thought you shouldn't yeah. have disallowed Canes, but you're making the same decisions mm. consistently. But to tell you the truth, it's just crap ref, not mm. fit for purpose, as most of them tend to be, and going with the home crowds. I saw a tweet, actually, that reminded me a little bit of you, Elio. It was the kind of sort of holding onto a grudge until there's a time to pull it out of the bag. Um, I don't know if it was a Liverpool fan or what, but it was someone saying, I knew that Harry Kane's karma from not getting sent off for his tackle on Robertson would come around eventually. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how far back you want to take it, but I kind of looked at that I and mean, thought, yeah, I guess maybe you could kind of even them out. That, that that's uh, You're getting uh, silly a there, aren't bit we? Silly, yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I, th- I think the Liverpool fan should wonder why his club's left back seems intent on breaking a Spurs player's leg every time he plays against us. Well, yeah, exactly. You go back to the previous game with, with Robertson doing the same sort of attack, well, not getting sent off himself. So it all goes round and round in circles. Uh, come on then, Dave. Let's hear your view on the disallowed goal. And I know you're a troll, but let's hear your um, unbiased opinion. Unbiased opinion. Kane obviously used Tiago to stop. That's the advantage he got okay. from putting his hand on him. If he hadn't have put his hand on him, he wouldn't have stopped as quickly. He wouldn't have been able to turn as quickly. Tiago falling down made it a spectacle, mm. but it was a foul because he gained the advantage by being able to stop quicker by putting some of his weight, not necessarily a push, mm. but putting some of his weight against Tiago. Is this not a That's contact sport, though? Is that not part of football? Is that not happening all the time? It is Corners, a spot, but, you, can, but you can't, you can't, you can't do that though. That's a foul. The consistency point that Elio raises is spot on though. Mm. It's there's a consistency window of five minutes in every Premier League game, and that's how. In, and we are consistent within those periods, and there is inconsistency everywhere else. And that is the biggest frustration about everything. Mm. It's the biggest frustration about VAR. It's the biggest frustration about all refereeing. It's just, it's just mind-numbingly annoying. How there is so many. Well, what about that and then that? Mm. And what about A and then B and then C and then D? And you can put them against each other and you go, yeah, there isn't, there's no consistency. And that's the biggest problem. I don't know if we'll ever solve it. I don't know if ours is better or worse, but it's here. So Referees are fallible and they're human beings. They're not being gods. paid to do a job at very high pace and it's a job none of us could do. But. At the same time, I think they just need to be a bit more aware of the decisions they themselves are making sometimes. It's as if by the time the Thiago goal came along, he'd forgotten about the Kane disallowed goal in the first yeah. That That's how it feels. It's like they were months apart as opposed to an hour apart. And, and that's exceptionally frustrating. And yeah. you have to question whether the home side were getting a little bit favoured on both occasions as well in situations like that. Not deliberately, but... Anyone who thinks that refs aren't homers, especially in the big club stadiums, is kidding themselves. Yeah, and especially, I mean, I've had the, in air quotes, pleasure of going to Stamford Bridge a couple of times this season. Yeah. I went corporate and I drank as much as I could and I ate as much as I could. So, you know, yeah. I've put a dent in their transfer budget. Let's put it that Good way. work, Dave. Yeah, I destroy from within. Yeah. Um, but the atmosphere there is great, but it's very intimidating. Yeah. It could be very intimidating for a referee. And yeah, I totally agree with Elio. There's, there's got to be a fact that has to be a factor. And, and ultimately, I kind of want it to be a factor. I like the fact that home teams get advantages because yeah. they're crowds on top of you and there's tens of thousands of them. And those kind of less than 1%. Yeah. I quite like that. That's what's good about football. Mm-hmm. I, I quite enjoy that 
you know, West Ham are in a vast, no atmosphere place, which means that they don't get that sometimes. Isn't it enough, though, that they get the boost in terms of the morale and the confidence in the players when they're cheering them on? They don't need the referees on their side on top of that, surely. Well, no, but that's part and parcel of it, isn't it? Because, like Elio just said, they're humans and they react mm. to surroundings. Well, look, as far as the result goes, I think, Elio, you said it best. We went into it. We all feared the worst, didn't we? We thought Chelsea away. When have we ever won this game? We had almost resigned ourselves to a defeat. And it, it kind of looked like Conte had with his selection as well. It's not a disaster. We obviously got the three points against Leicester, which was huge, and it leaves us more or less in the same position. How are we left feeling about the results and where it leaves us in the league and going forward? Is this just kind of a reiteration that fourth is the goal, third is a bit of a dream? Um, I mean, second, third, fourth is all the same bollocks as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. too much difference. If you're not winning the league, then get in the Champions League. If you don't get in the Champions League, get in the Europa League. Mm. If you don't get in the Europa League, then try and finish as low as you can without getting relegated so that you don't have to go into the Conference League. <laughs> um, like That's sort of yeah. how, how I feel about things. So... We've got a very good chance to push on. We're only two points off of fourth. We have two games in hand on the team in fourth, three on the team in fifth, one on the team in sixth. So so we're in a strong position. I do think there's a thinness to our squad, particularly because there's a few players in there that Conte seems to have deemed unusable, which is fine. And there seems to be active efforts to move those players on as a result and replace them with maybe not as spectacular names, but players that he feels he can use. And I think if we get it right in the next few days before the transfer window shuts, then we have a very good chance for fourth. I mean, I heard Roy Keane sort of scoffing at our chances the other day after the match and saying, oh, it's definitely Manchester United. It's off you stupid bastards like get off of your high horse and actually look at what's in front of you for a minute and there's actually every possibility Spurs can do it but I do think that if we fail to invest in the next few days and we fail to invest in the right players because mm. that's a big part of it then it'll be much much harder because we'll always be an injury away to having to play a youth or a player that the manager doesn't fancy who knows the manager doesn't fancy him and yeah well that's just no good for anyone really we'll talk about players potentially coming in in just a moment but a couple of players i want to mention just quickly giovanni lo celso deli ali and tongi and not featured in the starting squads against chelsea and then beyond that obviously we've had the instagram post from Celso, who says, regarding the questions I received, I would like to clear out that I am 100% in good physical condition. I have no problem. I feel very well. I wish the best of my team in the derby today. Um, Joe, first of all, do you think we can accept that all three of those are either on their way out or we're trying to actively sell them? And also, how do you feel about the Celso coming out and saying that publicly? Yeah, I think you would expect the three of them to go. I mean, the Celso can't be happy with the situation at this point. I wonder if he's just not taking it well that Lamella's gone, you know, his buddy's gone. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's nothing left for him in North London. But um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this a couple of times on, on the pod. I don't really know what's sort of gone wrong for Lo Celso, but Conte doesn't seem massively interested and uh, he's going to get decent options elsewhere, isn't he? There's going to be La Liga clubs that will want to have him. Mm. I really hope we kind of offload all three, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I don't see Lo Celso working out. The other two, I think, <laughs> I think, I think we've all wanted them out for, for a long time. <laughs> and we really need to just get that wage bill down. Otherwise, Levy just yeah. won't do anything for Conte if he thinks we're spending too much on salary. 
Do you get the impression we're waiting to send players out before bringing players in, though? Because that's been the accusation that a lot of people have thrown around, which I suppose makes sense if it's not the last few days of the transfer window, right? I, I mean, I assume so. Yeah, I, I would assume that's the case. But it's it's really difficult to tell because it's just so quiet for me, Nick, isn't it? So I'd be very surprised if we suddenly signed a couple of expensive players, like the ones we've been linked to. Elio, as our man on the inside and official in-the-know source of inside information at Tottenham Hotspur, What's going on? I mean, uh, I certainly don't <laughs> want to be. <laughs> well, I mean, I know literally not one person who works for Spurs, nor one person who works as an agent in the football world. So I certainly have no knowledge. I just read the same stuff you guys, but I'm sad enough to scour forums to see what people who claim to know their stuff have to say as well. But I, I don't really read anything within those that isn't in the press anyway. We're obviously very actively trying to shift the three players we've just mentioned. I mean, if reports are to be believed, that's sort of upwards of 400 grand a week between the three of them so that's a lot of salary in in the kitty i mean Mm. a a hell of a lot that's what 20 million a year so for six months that's a 10 million pound saving that's quite significant if you can get those out and replace them with someone the manager actually wants to use then you're doing well the midfield we have been linked with today which has been met with a bit of derision followed by a bit of acceptance followed by a little bit of a hey actually i get this amongst a lot of our fan base is sofian amrabat who's the younger brother of Nordin amrabat who once played for watford he's a defensive midfielder he's at the african cup of nations probably the best midfielder at the tournament so far with morocco and i've never seen a minute of him in my life but i've done a lot of reading up on him. I've done a lot of YouTube scouting, which, as we know, can make Gregor Raziak look <laughs> like uh, Emiliano Buetragueno. But um, he he's quite a tenacious little bastard, very sort of aggressive off the ball, very fiery. He actually, in the last three years, in each season, has given away more fouls than he's completed tackles, which is an interesting stat I saw. I'm not sure whether that's uh, <laughs> finally a good thing or a bad thing, quite. Uh, but on the ball, he's a very strong guy, six foot tall. He's got a bit of a rugby player build, um, good control, can actually beat a press with a bit of a dribble as well. He's actually one of the most successful dribblers in Serie A over uh, the past few seasons as well. I think if we'd been linked to him in the summer, a lot of Spurs fans would think, hmm, this is quite shrewd, this looks quite exciting, but he's barely played for Fiorentina yeah. this season, and that's a reason why a lot are sceptical about him. But last season, he was in the team at Fiorentina. The year before, he apparently tore it up for Verona. He was actually third in transfer market, which is obviously a fairly sort of good source generally on football players and salaries and best positions and skill sets etc etc it's a good scouting site and he amongst their users got voted third best player in Serie A for his year with Verona so so there's something about him and Mm. he might give us a couple of things our midfield lacks which is that tenacity and aggression off the ball but a bit of ability to break a press and use it from the little I've seen highlights wise it looks like Harry Winks upgrade potentially, but let's just say it means that we'll go from three players that he is using and three that he isn't to four that mm. he is using for those central midfield slots. And and that leaves us in slightly 
better Nick. The obvious one that we've been rumoured to be inching closer and closer and closer to, I mean, how long does it take to come to an agreement when you've been talking (laughs) for what feels like an eternity, is Adama Traore, our prospective convertee from unproductive right winger to unproductive right wing back. So um, (laughs) so let's see what happens there, but I think we'll probably wrap that one up. And the exciting link today... And this was broken hmm. in Portugal by, um, I can't remember his name, but by essentially one of their top football journalists and someone who is actually thought to be well-connected in Portugal, is Luis Diaz from Porto, which he's had a very, very good season. He's a very sort of fast, tricky player with a good, hard, long shot on him as well. So a lot of stuff that Spurs fans love. Sort of signing that hmm. uh, we tend not to make in that, well, Look at Vlavic, he's about to go to Juventus, isn't he? We usually go too late for these guys, so maybe mm. we're learning a lesson here. But it does feel a bit like Lauturo last summer, Dybala, a bit like yeah. Dybala a couple of summers ago. It feels like one of those where we get the link late on, but we're probably not going to mm. close the gap between what we're willing to pay and what they're willing to receive for him to lose in mid-season. However, Ali Gold has confirmed that we have definitely inquired about him this window and that we're very silent about whether we've made a bid or not. And Ali Gold does know mm. enough people at Spurs to give that opinion. He's a real in the know. Yeah, he actually does know people. <laughs> um, he is actually a proper journalist, not like some of these morons you see in Sky Sports News. And he seems to think that there's something there. I reckon it'll be very difficult, but if we got him, Traore, Amrabat, and we shifted the Deadwoods, I think that represents a good window. I should mention that as we speak, it's the 84th minute in the round of 16 in the African Cup of Nations and Morocco have just gone 2-1 up for a goal from Ashraf Hakimi. Huh. So they might be in the quarterfinals. Are you going to watch? Uh, I would have watched tonight if we weren't doing this, to tell you the truth. So uh, <laughs> oh, especially if we sign him, I will watch so that I um, I know what the hell we're looking at. Because to be perfectly honest, I've probably not watched a minute of Serie A since uh, James Richardson's bald head was showing up outside cafes in Rome talking to Vincenzo <laughs> Montella. So <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to watch Serie A these days, to be honest. I, I think it's on channel BT. somewhere that you have to subscribe to. I think Is it's it? on oh, BT. I didn't, obviously, it didn't look very hard. I will never, ever forget Lombardo doing the Lombardo on, uh, <laughs> on Football Italian. Didn't he go to Crystal Palace? Was that him? He, he did, did yeah. bald-headed guy. The bald eagle at the bald Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Joe, uh, from what Elio's just described, do you think that sounds like an acceptable transfer window, assuming we do ship out those three aforementioned and get in those three players in those positions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I've, I've been reading, yeah. it would seem the same inside sources that Elio is, that I seem to just use Google Good. to get. But uh, yeah, no, I, I've read the same stuff and it, they make sense. They seem sensible. And, and I really like the idea of Adana Traore. You know, we've talked a lot on our WhatsApp group about the idea of him, you know, as a wing back and I just think that would be really exciting. And, he, and he's Premier League, tried and tested. Okay, maybe gone off the ball a bit in the last 18 months, but um, I think that would be a great signing for us if it if it happens. Yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board. Elio's like, how dare you say that my sources are Google? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just random monikers on Spurs fan forums. But... You know what? It's fun even if it's all a load of rubbish. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You don't want to get excited until you see something concrete. You want to see the official announcement and then you can start thinking about it. Then you can start doing your YouTubing and finding their compilations and all that stuff. So uh, on the subject of our transfer window, actually, 
I've got a question for you, Elio, which is coming from Socks. <laughs> so some older listeners might remember Socrates, is Elio's cousin, who was a former contributor to this podcast. Socks asks, which summer window would you say, all things considered, was worse? The one where we spent $125 million on Ndombele or Soso and Sessignon, or the one where we signed nobody? Easily the first. <laughs> which is a serious question, because, yeah, I mean, obviously, take into account the wages and everything and, you know, potentially blocking incoming transfers in the, in the meantime. Easily the Ndombele or Soso window. What massive disappointments. Imagine spending, God, nine figures on coveted young superstars to improve your yeah. sides and everyone to a T ends up an utter disappointment and in the meantime because they're so highly salaried no one's taking them off your hands either for the next two years it, it absolutely that's the worst transfer window after mm. the window when we signed absolutely nobody in terms of long-term impact that may have set us back a bit in terms of short-term yeah. impact it didn't the Ndombele window uh, and I think he should be the the one to be the face of that window given that he cost the most and has given the least that is something that has absolutely hampered us for such a long time and and you know what the worst thing about that was it was a window that got all our hopes up and we thought great we we mean business here we're replacing Dembele we're replacing Ericsson we're we're really going all out and we've seen so many players sign with potential at Spurs before and become the real deal Mm -hmm. Ericsson Bale the Tongan Paul Robinson Michael Carrick whoever Lennon obviously like so so many Berbatov that you think yep we're doing Doing it again we're going back to what we're best at mm. and it's just been a disaster really hasn't it so no 100 that is the worst window i mean playing devil's advocate though i think a lot of spurs fans point to that window where we sign nobody and it's worth mentioning we're the first team in premier league history to sign no one in the summer window and as that at the start of the downfall of pochettino i suppose is there a small part of you that ever thinks what if we had just pushed on in that window and built on the success that we got to that point where could we be now yeah, there is an argument to suggest that, but I wouldn't want to let a manager have the excuse of my squad's not good enough when we were losing some of the games we were losing under him because we were still mm. losing teams with far worse collection of players than us at the end of the day. I mean, even a stupid result like the Colchester loss in the League Cup, I mean, what the hell was that about yeah. with players in the side who were earning by themselves more than the entire culture to squads and every fan in their stadium put together? No, I don't subscribe to the point of view that that caused the downfall of Pochettino. I think Pochettino contributed to it. I think Levy contributed to it as well. Mm. I'd actually go back a year previous to that, 2017, when we gave him Sissoko, Davinson, Sanchez for a combined 70 million as maybe the beginning of us letting him down big time in the transfer window because we actually signed bad players for a lot of money, which left less money to sign good players later on. Yeah, fair enough. Well answered. I'm just curious, actually, in terms of our trans window, how we do business and just kind of the reputation of Daniel Levy. Dave, from the outside looking in, I mean, do you see somebody that has success on his mind or does it look more like he just wants to kind of stumble along, pushing for the top four, making money? I mean, the signings and the the transfer windows that Spurs have had over the last few years and the way that we seem to be going about this one. Do you see somebody that is trying to take Spurs to the next level or do you think it's just a case of commercial comes first? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, the problem is the next level is the top level in England, which Mm. is competing with the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, I would add Manchester United into that if they'd had had a decent manager Mm. or 
they haven't imploded on themselves because they're spending plenty of money. They're just not getting the results from it. Mm-hmm. But I think I think one of the key factors is probably a well, it's probably a dose of realism from Levy that says that I can't compete with these teams right now. My team can't compete with these teams right now. So he's not saying what do we need to finish first, second, or third. He's saying what do we need to finish fourth. And the answer is probably exactly what you're going to end up getting because I think that's probably the most likely finishing position for you guys mm-hmm. now. So I think there's a positive in the fact that, you know, you've got Conte now and he is a very good coach who has the potential to turn a few five, ten million pound players relatively quickly into very, very, very good players. And that would then push you closer to the Liverpools and the Cities and the Chelsea's. The problem with those three teams specifically is that, as as I think I mentioned earlier in the 20 podcasts that we've done, <laughs> um, you need to spend £100 million or close to £100 million to get a player who's going to start in those teams, mm. uh, which is just on a different level to every other team in the in the Premier League. So you're either hoping that you can attract players who, quite frankly, could go to a bigger club than you. You know, the Vlajevic stuff. Like, Vlajevic to Arsenal, that rumour was quite cute, I thought, because <laughs> it was never going to happen. Uh, slightly, slightly maybe more likely with you guys, but still very unlikely. He was going to go to a top club. If he'd have gone to a club in, in England, it would have been one of the three I've already mentioned. The other alternative that you've got is to actually find younger players and, yeah. with the help of a good coach, turn them into those players. And that's, you know... Hopefully, what of what I think the smart philosophy is, so giving Conte some money to plug the gaps that he doesn't believe he has players with the potential to plug within the team already and in the squad already, that makes sense. So I think it's a sensible strategy. It's not going to excite anybody. But at the same time, it's, it's not going to get him chased out of the ground in a taxi. Well, you don't follow enough Spurs fans on Twitter, clearly, because I've seen enough to suggest otherwise. But we'll, we'll see. And um, <laughs> They're going to be waiting. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that won't be happy with what we end up with, no matter who we sign, short of sign, somehow signing Lionel Messi. But that's your, that's your Twitter about. stratosphere, isn't it? You've, oh, got, a Twitter, no, you've got a Twitter fan base yeah. and you've got a real fan base. Exactly. And I think the real fan base will look at it and go, well, mm. how do we catch those guys? You don't with money. You don't. It feels like they're already gone. Like, you know, Newcastle... With all the money in the world, it would still take them 10 years to get anywhere yeah. near them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I think sometimes a little bit of luck and a little bit of striking the right player at the right time is the way to go about it, isn't it? So let's see. And also just a word of warning from the mm. past, you know, there have been worse transfer windows. Um, <laughs> for, exa- for example, may I remind you of 2002-3 yeah. when uh, Leeds sold Rio Ferdinand, Jonathan Woodgate, Robbie Keane, Robbie Fowler, Lee Boyer and... Ollie Decor mm. and signed Nick Barnby. <laughs> Be careful what you say about Nick Barnby nowadays, okay? Come on. But look, I totally take your point and whatever happens this window, there'll be some people who won't be happy, some people will be happy, but we'll see what ends up happening and hopefully we manage to get a few players in and get a few players out. And of course, if you're listening and you've got any thoughts on what would be a good window, then get in touch and let us know. If there's any players that you are particularly excited to see or any players that you think we should go for, then get in touch. As you know, our social media accounts are at Plus Day Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us at plusdaypodcast at gmail.com. Um, Elio. 
I can assure you that short of two or three coming in, not just one, which a lot of people are worried about, short of two or three coming in that actually impact the first team. There'll still be complaints. It'll be unanimous in it being considered an unhappy window for us. You won't find even one Spurs fan that's happy with just Traore, for instance. Mm. Uh, I can promise you that. And rightly so, to tell you the truth, because the Spurs fans sense an opportunity to push on and... We don't want to have another Nelson and Zaha situation. Fair enough. We're never happy, are we? Just never happy football fans. Always want more. (laughs) Well, I say that. But having said that, we were very happy at the end of the Leicester game. And I want to take that opportunity to think back to a few last minute dramatic winners and comebacks over the years that stand out just in line with that Bergwijn winner. Elio, any that jumped to the forefront of your mind when you think of them? I mean, obviously there's Ajax, but talk about Ajax to death. We can talk about it again if you want. I'm sure no one will mind. But, <laughs> but any any aside from that, maybe in the Premier League that come to mind? One of the ones that I enjoyed most was a game against West Ham when it was a topsy-turvy game. Tainio scored the best goal you'll ever see him see. A kung Fu kicked, volleyed assist from Aaron Lennon from the edge of the area before <laughs> Tainio himself volleyed it in. Berbatov scored a beautiful free kick. Tevez got his first goal for West Ham that day as well. But we were we were 3-2 down, West Ham fans mocking us, celebrating yeah. like they were going to... well. Like they were winning the World Cup again, basically. Um, and on comes young Adele Tarab and mm-hmm. uh, gives us all a glimpse into his prodigious talent and makes us believe that we've uh, got a young Zidane in our ranks. Dribbles past a whole lot of West Ham players before being hauled down and Burbs of scores an absolutely beautiful free kick. And then in the very last minute, West Ham press forward to try and get a winner, which they should. They're at home. Mm-hmm. It's uh, their cup final. So, of course, they're going to. We get the ball out. I think Defoe of all people charges forward with the ball runs sort of half the length of the pitch. Goalkeeper saves it, parries it right into the path of Stalteri. The one and only time in his entire career, Spurs career, that he's actually in the opposition penalty area. (laughs) In the back of the net, 4-3 win. Absolutely beautiful. So that one sticks in mind. Yeah. and there's one other, which is a bit of an obscure one, but I just remember really enjoying it at the time, particularly because of the name of the player that equalised for us. But we were 1-0 down against Leicester, and right. a young South African player who we'd never heard of, we'd signed as part of some kind of partnership we had with one of the South African teams um, called Mbuelo Mabizela, comes onto, uh, onto the pitch oh, yeah. for, I think, probably his only Spurs appearance, or one of only a couple, and hits an absolute screamer into the net from 30 yards. Uh, a thunder bastard. Yeah, a thunder bastard. Dave, look up Mabizela versus Leicester <laughs> online and then tell me if that counts as a thunder Poor Dave bastard. of all his YouTubing. Um, making so, me so much work for this podcast. And then in the very last minute, Freddie Canute gets the winner. And you know what? I've never liked Leicester and that was lovely. So not an important game of any description, but uh, a nice dramatic last minute winner. Yeah. And this was when we were absolute dross as well, yeah, which... Yeah. Everything good that happened then seemed 10 times as good. You know, it's funny, you mentioned that one, and then obviously we had the Leicester result the other day, and I'm looking at another one that I completely forgot about, but it wasn't even that long ago. I'm curious if any of you, I'm sure you'll remember it, Elio, but I'm curious if anyone else remembers it. May 2018, Spurs at home against Leicester, 5-4, having been 3-1 down after 47 minutes. 
you remember that? Yeah, didn't Harry Kane score a bunch that day as well? He scored, yeah, he scored the winner. Yeah, apparently Spurs were 2-1 behind at half-time after Riyad Mahrez had added to Vardy's early header. Um, <laughs> responded with three quick-fire goals, two for Eric Lamella, and an own goal from Christian Fuchs. And yeah, came with the winner. Um, that's absolutely Can insane. Can we play 5-4. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kane, Kane would wish we, we did, didn't he? Um, so Dave, Mabizela, Thunder Bastard or not? Does it count? Um, it good finish. I feel like it's not far away enough ah, to be classed mm. as a Thunder Bastard. Fair enough. Elio, November 2010, Arsenal 2, Spurs 3. Oh, Another the one on the list. header. I'm looking at a list, yeah, by the, the way. These aren't, this isn't my memory. I'm not out Elioing Elio. This is, I'm looking at a list of apparently Spurs top 10 comebacks. No prizes for guessing what's number one, but, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Wolves header. What else have we got on here? You've got the West Ham one on there that you mentioned. Well, we talked about Bale's goal against West Ham for three. Was yeah. that a comeback? That was more of a last minute. Yeah, I mean, we, this this whole section, I guess, just counts with comebacks and last minute drama, I suppose, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah, that one would have been a contribution. But uh, yeah, the Leicester game, I, I do vaguely recall that, which it feels like that one should stick in the memory a bit more. To be honest, nine goal thriller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't remember that that vividly. Whereas like the Paul, St- the Paul Salteri one, I remember the, the goal. I remember Salteri's, but I don't remember the whole game. That, that I don't remember it happening, you know. Here's another one, actually. Aston Villa game. I think this was an anniversary game, wasn't it? Was this our... Oh, the Aston like Villa 4-all. Yeah, the 125th, game, yeah, 125th, 125th anniversary. Yeah, that in the, the Blackburn yeah. kit. Yeah, the half and half kit. Yeah, that was a little bit nuts, wasn't it? Not a comeback necessarily as such, but a wild game. I think, Dave, I think you were watching this with us. I remember the WhatsApp chat going off, but before the Ajax game, the City game, all the VAR drama at the last minute, That's that's got to go down. That's got to be high in the list of just craziest finishes to a Spurs game. Yeah, that was fun. That was absolutely nuts. I love seeing the videos, the City fans celebrating in the crowd as well, thinking they'd won it and then seeing the VAR decision. I just remembered my last Leeds game was actually not a million miles away from the Leicester game that, yeah. uh, from last week. So it was, um, it was Leeds against Blackburn on Boxing Day in 2018. We'd scored halfway through the first half. They scored just at the start of the second half. And then Charlie Mulgrew scored a free kick, which doesn't happen very often for a big brute of a centre-back, in the 90th minute to make it 2-1 to Blackburn. And then we scored in the 91st and the 94th minute to win it 3-2. Fantastic. And, uh, That's Bergwijn-esque. Do you, do you know, have you ever been in a crowd where it's so loud that your ears can't handle it and they start, like, crackling? Have you ever had that experience? Every time I go to Spurs. I mean, you know, Spurs. Do they, do they shout that loud? Either way, it was like that. And and I think we were, we were there with one of my best mate's wife who'd, who'd got us the tickets and and it was her first game. And we were like, it's oh. not like this. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Again. It's only the bar <laughs> high, isn't it? Oh. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure we'll have some more before the end of the season. But we'd love to hear from you guys. As I said earlier, get in touch. Let us know your favourite last-minute winners, last-minute goals, crazy ends to games. There's so many to choose from, but always good to hear about them. But for now, I think it's time to get on to a bit of Challenge Elio to round things off, as we always do. If by any miracle you're new to the podcast this week, Challenge Elio is our trivia section of the podcast where I put out some questions to the guys and it's generally the format of Elio versus the world. Elio is our, as you probably gathered by the last hour or so, our in-house football expert and Spurs expert with an exceptional memory, particularly for last minute winners. So let's see uh, how he does against Joe and Dave today. My first question is actually inspired by an absolutely ridiculous, albeit completely 
unspurs related stat that I sent to you guys the other day that is worth reading out anyway. And that is that Maldini and Baresi played a total of 196 games together as a centre-back pairing, conceding in total in those games only 23 goals, which Dave, you responded with, that is utterly preposterous, which I, I absolutely agree with. It's just a ridiculous stat. It, it's worthy of sneaking into the Spurs podcast. Um, but with that in mind, it kind of inspired me to just think of clean sheets among Spurs defenders, which is uh, sometimes a bit of a rarity. My question is, can you guys tell me the top 10 goalkeepers and defenders in terms of number of clean sheets kept at White Hart Lane in the Premier League? And again, I must apologise for the fact that all of our questions are limited to the Premier League because unfortunately it's quite hard to get data that goes beyond 1992 and the world seems to think that football started in that year, but we move on. Um, So yeah, we'll go back and forth, think who's going first this week. How are we going to decide this? See if you guys can name well, the top so 10. So you want us to name the 10 players and they have to either be defenders or goalkeepers. Defenders or goalkeepers. The most clean sheets. Since the Premier League started, who have played in the most clean sheets. A lot of them should be pretty easy. At White Hart Lane. At White Hart Lane, yeah. This is from a list that was printed when we played our last game at White Hart Lane. So, so not away fixtures. Not away fixtures, just home fixtures at White Hart Lane. Since okay. 1992. So you guys go first. Team Joe and Dave. Well, should we start with your keeper? Yeah. Which one? Current keeper? Hugo Our Lloris. new signing. Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris, your new signing. Oh, yeah, actually, we didn't even talk about that, did we? Just a quick word for that. That's probably the best piece of business in this transfer window, right? Very Important helpful. Time. Getting Hugo Lloris. Like a new signing. Yeah. yeah. Not least because he has kept a total of 37 clean sheets at YR Lane, which is pretty good. And puts him in number three on the list. Curious to see how quickly we get number one. So yeah, here's number three on the list. 37 clean sheets. Elio, who's next? Um, Jan Vertonghen. Vertonghen just creeps in. Number nine, 30 clean sheets. Joe Dave? Uh, Probably should throw his name out there, I'm afraid, but Sol Campbell. I'm afraid he is. Yes, 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 he is. I'll spare Elio saying it. He has, he has been involved in two more clean sheets than Hugo Lloris with 39, which surprised me somewhat. Still haven't got a top spot, though. Ledley King. Ledley King is in the list, but he's at number four with 36. We still haven't got that top spot. Interesting. Um, yeah, but all hits so far. Whenever we say the Tom, and I immediately think Toby Alderweireld immediately afterwards. So go with Alderweireld. Funny. Dave's just nodded, nodding his he's, head. He's approved. Out of this. Sure. <laughs> yep. Sure. I'm afraid that's not the right answer. Alvaro is not in the top 10. So it comes back to Elio. Doing your best Chris Tarrant impression there. <laughs> um, Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker is number five. 35 clean sheets. The Very good. Number one. Um, Paul Robinson. No Paul Robinson, I'm afraid. Back to Elio. Danny Rose. No Danny Rose either. <laughs> so how many have we got left? We've, we've got one, two... Go through the Leeds players. Five to go. Should we throw, throw Woodgate in the mix? <laughs> how many games did he play? He played about six <laughs> games for us. <laughs> I don't know why I'm say. helping you. We're, you we're looking for 30 clean sheets here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, well, that no, implies tw- that they played tw- at least 30 games. 23 is actually number 10, so yeah. Uh, was That wasn't a guess. I'll give you another guess. You didn't, you didn't go with Woodgate. What's your guess going to be? Uh... We've had Vertonghen, Walker, King, Judas, and Hugo. Kieran Trippier? No Kieran Trippier, I'm afraid. Back to Elio. Um, just because he kept goal for us for a long time. Ian Walker. 
Ian Walker is on there. 35 clean sheets in at number six. Very yeah. good. Two yeah. walkers. Two walkers yeah. on the list. Yeah. The guy yeah. who can catch the ball, hit straight at him. <laughs> I'll always remember that. Was it McManaman? Yeah, against Liverpool. Yeah, and then he, he smiled afterwards. Yeah, he bobbled over him. A bit like the Collymore goal of Tim Flowers where he just bobbled along the, the ground on one of those horrible old pitches and just jumped over his head. Except Flowers was a proper goalkeeper who didn't laugh <laughs> at his stupid mistakes. Poor Ian Walker. Back to you guys. You've only got two so far, so no pressure. Elio's walking away with this one. No pun intended. <laughs> no, there really wasn't. But thanks so much for pointing it out. Um, I, I've forgotten all Spurs players. <laughs> That's not like you. <laughs> Episode 21, Dave quits. <laughs> I feel like Joe, as a Spurs fan, should be giving you some help with this. <laughs> yeah, come on, this is a team effort. Who played? Who I'm played full back when Sol Campbell played for Spurs? Certainly. That's quite a smart way of looking at it, actually. Mm, Alan Hutton. No, it's not Alan Hutton. Yeah, I think think of players who have played with the others on the list. It's probably a pretty good way of going about it. Benoit Asu Ekoto. <laughs> Benoit Asu Ekoto, the legend himself, is number eight with thirty clean sheets. Elio gets his fifth correct answer. Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr is on there. Very good. With 30 as well. Nice. So nice one. we are missing... The only one we haven't got is number 10 and number 1. Justin Edinburgh. No Justin Edinburgh, I'm afraid. Chorluca. No Chorluca. Elio, can you get number 10 or number 1? Michael Dawson. Michael Dawson is number 1. With 41 clean sheets in a Spurs shirt. Yeah. Spurs legend. for us nine, nine seasons, believe yeah. it or not. There you go. Nine seasons. Shouldn't be a surprise. Where does Dawson go down in your estimations as a Spurs player? I absolutely love Michael Dawson. He'd improve this Spurs side. How do you rate him as a pundit? <laughs> he loves you know us, what? doesn't he? <laughs> he loves us. He's sincere. He's nice and articulate and yeah. not uh, recovering drug addict. So I have some time for him, yeah. <laughs> so there's an air of Chris Kamara about him. He's just kind of lovable. Yeah. Right, we're missing number 10. Am I going to start giving clues out or? Throw a clue out. Uh, no clues. I'll get it in the next go. Tarika. Nope. Elio, you got it? Uh, Gary Mabbott. No. Probably, Midfielder, sure. Probably played too many of his games before the Premier League. Not Gary Mabbott. He's a midfielder. Yes. Right? Ah, no, centre back. Well, I mean, he probably played a few games in defence midfield earlier in his career, maybe. But oh, I'm thinking Vinny Samway. <laughs> not him either. What a horrible player, Samway. <laughs> <laughs> they merge into one in my mind. Okay, um, Brazilian. I feel like that's a pretty big clue, given that we've. Not <laughs> had I want that to get this question Brazilian. done. I've got a whole other question coming up, and it's even longer. So. Emerson Royals had a big impact on the team. <laughs> <laughs> It's all on you, Joe. I don't know what Brazilian defenders or goal- goalkeeper. Oh, Gomez. It was Gomez, yeah. No way. Okay. Sorry, Elio. I, I had to spoon I, feed them that one. Were you going to get that one? Let's go. I don't know if I was, but that's a ridiculous clue to give away, <laughs> given been... that we've had no Brazilian defenders <laughs> and one Brazilian you know goalkeeper. In my mind, I was thinking they might say Sandro, and then I remembered he was a midfielder. Oh, dear. You utter cockwomble. You still won, okay? You still won. <laughs> you you yeah, scraped it, Elio. Sympathy points you scraped it. I was giving them sympathy points. <laughs> okay. 
This, is a this, this next one is a bit of an experiment, which I'm sure you'll be delighted to hear. But I'm, I'm really interested to hear how this goes. And I think we're going to see the return of a former plus day favorite in the buzzer round. So I think we need to come up with some buzzers now because that's the only way this is going to work. We talked about Kane's assist for Bergwijn's goal. And it got me thinking about some of the forgotten heroes of football history, the people who've made the assists for some pretty famous goals over the years. And I thought it could be a fun game to see if anyone can guess who got the assist for some of these famous Spurs goals or otherwise. Should we come up with some buzzers? What do you think? Joe? Can I, can I tap on my mic like this? Is that a good oh, sound? That, that's that's going to be aggressive. It's when not a good that. sound. That's going to be horrible. <laughs> it's I, not a good I don't sound. know how that's going to come out in the edit. I think that, that, that might be too disgusting to hear. You're going to blow someone's eardrum. <laughs> Dave, have you yeah, got that's, that, that's how he intends to win this. Like he, he's going to deafen me so that I can't answer anything. Dave, you got a buzzer? No. Just make a buzzer noise. I'll hopefully be able to discern who it was from... Right, so... So do I not get a buzzer? I want to hear your buzzer. You can surprise us with your buzzer. Or do you want to, do you want to give us a preview now? No, I'll surprise you. Fine. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to regret that. <laughs> okay, so let's keep this snappy. First one. Lucas versus Ajax, 2019. Cock <laughs> Yes. Elio? Deli Alley. Very good. I'd be really disappointed if no one had got that, given that it is in our jingle in the commentary. You didn't uh, mention which Lucas goal. There were three of them. You know which one I meant. Just, I'll, I'll specify. Just, just, so, you know, just yeah. so you know, I quickly downloaded, with the power of the internet, a buzzer app. <laughs> That's quite yeah, that, That's a bit quiet. It's a bit quiet. Get a bit louder. <laughs> All right. It works. It works. Okay. Next goal. 2020. Son versus Burnley. Cockwomble. Elliot. Vertonghen. Very good. Vertonghen with an outstanding assist. This is an Elliot. 2021. Regrelon versus Leeds. Yep. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dave. Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer off the crossbar. Yes. Very good. Very good. 2008. Woodgate versus Chelsea. Oh, God. Cockwomble. And hang on. The answer is not the goalkeeper. But that, 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 then it's not an assist. It's officially not given to the goalkeeper. Fine, it, Tom it, Huddleston. No. Oh. It goes over to the other team. Do you have an idea? Come on, Joe. Uh, you can, can you visualise the goal? I, I, can, I can visualise the contact with Woodgate. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that should be the assist, really. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to throw Berbatov out there. Nope. Jermaine Genus. Correct. It was Jermaine Genus with the free kick in. Very good. Ricky Villa versus Man City, 1981. This is a hard one. Cockwomble. <laughs> it wasn't Gary Neville. <laughs> yes? I was about to say a player that we hadn't yet signed, so I'm going to change my answer and say Graham Roberts. It's a good guess, but it's not right. Not sure that's how it works. Any guesses, guys? 1981? Uh, no. no. No, it's Tony Galvin. 2010, Crouch versus Man City. Cockwomble. Yep. Eunice Cabal. Very good. Can we go to the next round, please? 1999. Nielsen versus Leicester. Cockwomble. Yes, Elio? Stephen Everson. It's suddenly dawning on me how many bleeps I'm going to have to put into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> 2010. Bale versus Stoke. Cockwomble. Yes, Elio? Aaron Lennon. Correct. Very good. <laughs> See, Dave, I feel like this, this this would be unfair on you had you not watched all of these goals last week. I think maybe you might just remember. 
2016. Deli Ali versus Palace. Yes, Dave? Oh. No, Dave got in there. <laughs> I don't think he knew what he was buzzing for, but he got in there with his buzzer. <laughs> I buzzed, I buzzed Deli Deli Ali versus Palace. And, and delayed. Uh, Ericsson. Correct. Uh, it was well Ericsson. Very good. Very good. I'm just going to mark the ones that you guys got because Elio's got all the rest, um, except for one of them. This really wasn't well thought out as a contest. I like this. 2010. Kabul versus Arsenal. No idea. Hazard a guess? Ooh, that was, ooh, that was close. That was me. <laughs> Joe, do you accept that Elio got there first? No, I don't. Modric. <laughs> Well, you're wrong. So, Elio. <laughs> Van der Vaart. Elio's right. Very good. It was Van der Vaart. 1999. Ginola versus Barnsley. Oh. This is God. a tough one. Cockwomble. Yes? Clive Wilson? No. <laughs> Any guesses from the other guys? It's a good guess. Sherwood? Not Sherwood. Elio, do you want another guess? Um... I don't think I know this, but I'm just going to go go with Justin Edinburgh. You're you're kind of getting closer. No, it, it is a fullback. No, Dean Austin. No, it was Mauricio Tarico. Oh, God, I didn't realize. Layoff. He was. I think he had kind of come across on the other side, but the looks of like things running over. 2018, Bale versus Liverpool. Wait, what? You heard me. <laughs> I, I I thought this was Spurs goals. He played for Spurs. I never said Fine. it was just Spurs goals. Cockwomble, Carius. <laughs> that, should, that should count, but no. He got a hat-trick of assists in that game, didn't he? Mm. Nope, you're in the right game though, guys. Bale's Champions League final overhead kick. That's the goal I mean, obviously. Modric? No, it wasn't Modric. Casemiro? No. Elio, another guess? or we're gonna Cristiano Ronaldo with no. the one and only assist of it his life. It was Marcelo from the left. 2002. Zidane versus Leverkusen. Roberto Carlos. You didn't buzz, Dave, so I don't know if I should accept uh, your answer. Uh, Can you buzz, please? Sorry, hang on. I'll wait. Cock Dave? Roberto Carlos? Wrong. No, joking. That's correct. Very good. <laughs> yep, it was Roberto Carlos. I remember the good goals, guys. 1996, Gaza versus Scotland. Colin Hendry. Um... <laughs> Cockwomble, Darren yep. Anderson. <laughs> yes, that was Darren Anderson. Joe, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> oh, Joe, that was your moment. <laughs> Joe, I'm so disappointed. That was that I put that in there for you. 2001, Rivaldo versus Valencia, third goal. This is a hard one. The overhead kick, obviously. Any guesses? I just assumed someone like Overmars. It's not a million miles off. Cockwomble. Elio. Emmanuel Petit. No. I think we'd be here a while. Shall I tell you? You're, you're going down the right path with the nationality, Joe, but it's not. I'll tell you, it was Frank de Boer. 1995. Tony Oboa versus Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> God, quick, Press your button. <laughs> Elio's about to get it. <laughs> uh, Brian Dean. No, it's not Brian Dean. Against Liverpool. Which passes it over to Elio for a guess. Unless he scored two absolute worldies against Liverpool in 1995, I'm pretty sure, because I checked this earlier. I will hold my hands up if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was not Brian Dean. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to watch that again. Go on then. I- I'm trying to think who it could possibly be. I'm trying to just remember Leeds players <laughs> from the mid-90s. So That's what half this game is. Just who played with them? Who could it have been? Because you're not going to remember necessarily. <sighs> Dave, have you seen it? 
I can picture the guy heading it down. It's a forward heading yep. it down to him. I know that much. So You're right. I think it was a black forward. Was it Rod Wallace? It was Rod Wallace. Very good. Very good. Was it really? Yeah. Have I just warped your reality, Dave? It's Rod Wallace. I mean, I mean, if it is, fair enough. I mean, good on him for getting a header. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you're All right, right, Dave, a chance for redemption. A chance for redemption. Rio Ferdinand versus Deportivo, 2001. Are you trying to press your button, Dave? Yeah, I'm trying to press my button. <laughs> I, I don't know, but educated guess would be Ian Hart. It's a good educated guess. It was Ian Hart. Yeah, yeah, had good. left us and then he had a good point. 1999. Solskjaer versus Bayern Munich. Cop Womble. Hello? Teddy Sheringham? Teddy Sheringham's correct. 1998. Owen versus Argentina. Picturing it? <laughs> Dave? Beckham. Correct. It was Beckham. I wanted. I was torn between Beckham and Skulls. <laughs> Two thousand and four. Lionel Messi versus Albacete. Cockwomble. Elio. That's his uh, debut goal set up by Ronaldinho. Is it not? Excellent. Very good. It is indeed correct. Nineteen sixty-six. Third goal. Jeff Hurst versus West Germany. Cockwomble. Elio. <laughs> <laughs> Too late, Dave. <laughs> Too late, Dave. Um, you might get Bobby Styles. No, Dave. Bobby Charm. No. Are we going to keep this rolling until we can name the whole England team? Ma- or? Martin Peters. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more guess, guys. Joe and Dave. Joe, you haven't guessed in a while. Come on, let's have a guess from you. Um, Bobby Moore. That is the right answer. Very good. <laughs> it was Bobby Moore. The long ball from the back. I think no, because he actually picked up the ball in his own half, didn't he? And then kind of just ran into open space oh, yeah. when they thought it was all over. And finally, in this round, 2012, Aguero versus QPR. Joe? I want to say Balotelli. That is the right answer. Very good. It was his one and only assist of the entire season, (laughs) which I absolutely love. He's like, yeah, I'm going to give this passing thing a go and see what happens. There we go. So He's just been called up to the Italy squad for the first time in three years by Manchester. Wow. That's a lie. Isn't he playing for his boyhood club now or where he started out or something like that? They they must be desperate. Something of a career, hasn't he? They must be desperate if they're uh, in a World Cup playoff. European champions. Yeah, but they're, How desperate can they're, 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 they're not going to make the World Cup, are they? They're going to have to get through Portugal in the playoffs. Oh, judging, judging by the name of his club, I think he's playing in Turkey at the moment. Yeah, oh, Adana Demispor, and uh, he scored eight goals in 19 this season, apparently. Last year, he got five and 12 for Monza, and the year before, five and 19 for Brescia. So he's been pretty bad for a long time, but... I guess Italy are short up front. There we go. Well, look, the final thing, as always, on this podcast is the Who Am I game, for which I must admit, I spent too long coming up with my brilliant idea for the last question. So instead, rather than give you guys clues, I'm just going to get you guys to ask me questions about a former Spurs player to narrow it down and try and work it out. You know the drill. Write these down, ask the questions, and try and work out which Spurs player, ex-Spurs player, I'm talking about. I think Joe got the last one, didn't he, with Balotelli. So, Eddie, you get the first question. I'm on his Wikipedia now. Elio, give me your first question. Is this player still playing? He is. Carl Walker. No. Joe and Dave. Am I not English? 
<laughs> Are you asking me a negative question? Am I not? Am I, am I not? No. English. I am English. Okay. I'm pretty sure anyway. I need to check where England is on a map, but I think he is English. Elio. Are these guys not going to guess us a player? Oh, uh, yeah. Are you guys going to guess at a player? Um, an English footballer. <laughs> an English footballer <laughs> who has played for Spurs. Who is still playing? That's that narrative. Aaron Lennon. What did you say, Dave? I said Aaron Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a sixth sense for this. <laughs> this is not good enough. You, you complain when the questions are too long and you complain when the questions are too short. I don't know what you want from me, guys. You know, that's the risk you run when you're playing with Dave, the master of the Who Am I game, okay? Sometimes he just gets it after three clues. And he did last week as well. Maybe I should stop picking players that have played for Leeds. Seems two, clues, two clues this time around. <laughs> two clues. Is that a new record? Very good. Very yeah, good. I'm getting better. Well, I'm going to have to think of a better one next week. And um, you know what? Maybe maybe Elio should come up one next week because he, he seems to have an issue with my questioning. So, Elio, what do you think? Do you want to take the helm I'll... next week and do challenge Elio? Elio challenges us. I'm more than happy to do that. But um, <laughs> be warned, it'll be something that you should know and <laughs> won't know. You're going to show us up, yeah? Me specifically. Well, Dave can't get shown up on this. Dave is <laughs> Teflon. So basically what you're saying is if I dare give you that kind of power, you will embarrass me on air. Absolutely. More than I manage to embarrass myself when I'm asking the questions. Okay. 100%. Excellent. Well, I'm sure everyone listening looks forward to that very much. But I think it's probably fair to say that is more than enough time for today. We've had a lot to talk about. We've obviously gone back over a couple of games. Another challenge, Elio. And next week... We may well have some new signings. We may well be looking at a new shape Spurs. We didn't even talk about our next game because it's miles away, right? What is our next yeah, game? Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah, we'll get on to that next week. But who, who have we got next? Let's have a quick look. Brighton, Brighton at home away. in the FA Cup. Southampton yeah. at home in the league. There we go. And then well, another league nice game. We'll break. have three games to talk about next week. We will. We hope to have you all back for that. Any closing thoughts, guys, before we wrap things up? That sounds like a resounding no. Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining me as always. And uh, I hope you'll get a good night's sleep. And to everyone listening, thanks again for joining us for our 20th episode, especially if you've been here since the very beginning. And I hope you join us for the 21st episode next week. And hopefully we have some happy Spurs memories, just like the one against Leicester to look forward to in the near future. But until then, you stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week. Kane, surely not another twist. Good ball from Kane. Bergvine is in. Is he going to win the game? He is!